0: The EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis.
1: Welcome to Vatican Insider on what seems to be one of the hottest weekends on record in the Northern Hemisphere. Now I'm going to get to the news summary in a moment, but want to tell you about my guest in the interview segment, Jesuit Father Mark Lewis, Rector of Rome's celebrated, Jesuit-run Gregorian University, known here in Rome simply as the Greg. By the way, same last name, but we are not related. A native of Miami, Florida, he was ordained a priest on June 8, 1991. In part two of our conversation, we look at how the Greg, preparing for the 2025 Holy Year, will offer a new diploma in the History and Art of Jubilees, a one-year course that will start from the academic year 2023-2024 at the Faculty of History and Cultural Heritage of the Church. We also talk about the university's decision to strengthen the formation of its students on the themes of safeguarding and care for human dignity through the establishment of a course whose attendance will be considered a necessary requirement for the completion of the baccalaureate, licentiate, and doctorate academic degrees. And now the news highlights of the past week. Since July 1st, Pope Francis has been on a working vacation at the Santa Marta residence in Vatican City. On June 27th, the Prefecture of the Papal Household, the office that prepares all papal audiences from the general audience to heads of state, announced that Pope Francis' general, particular, and special audiences will be suspended from July 1st until the end of the month. However, the Sunday Angelus will continue as usual, and indications are that the Pope may also continue to receive guests in private. And as you'll see, he did just that this week. Now some of the news highlights. At the Angelus, Pope Francis reflected on the Gospel of the day, especially on how the Lord urges welcoming prophets. So it's important to welcome each other as such, as bearers of God's message, each one according to his state and vocation and to do it right where we live, that is, in the family, in the parish, in the religious community, in other places in the church and in society. We need to pray, to call on the Holy Spirit, to listen, to dialogue, trusting that each person has a prophetic gift to share. Let us reflect, said Francis, on how many conflicts could be avoided and resolved in this way, listening to others with the sincere desire to understand each other. Let's ask ourselves, do I know how to welcome my brothers and sisters as prophetic gifts? Do I believe that I need them? Do I listen to them respectfully with the desire to learn? Because, said the Pope, each of us needs to learn from others. In Post Angelus remarks last Sunday, Francis said, even during summertime, let us not tire of praying for peace, especially for the people of Ukraine who are so beleaguered. And let us not neglect the other wars, so often unfortunately forgotten, and the numerous conflicts and clashes that stain many parts of the world with blood. Monday, July 3rd. In a message to the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization, at a meeting underway in Rome, Pope Francis appealed for joint, multilateral action on the part of all nations and organizations to eradicate the scourge of hunger, starving millions worldwide. He cordially greeted all the conference participants, and he encouraged Fowl's Director General to continue his commitment at a time when decisive and competent action to eradicate the scourge of hunger in the world is inescapable. Also Monday, the Vatican released the Pope's video message with his prayer intention for the month of July. Quote, Let us pray that Catholics place at the center of their lives the Eucharistic celebration that transforms human relationships and opens up an encounter with God and our brothers and sisters. Tuesday, July 4th. The Vatican released the calendar of liturgical celebrations of the Holy Father for July and August 2023, which includes Mass at 10 a.m. in St. Peter's Basilica on Sunday, July 23rd. It's the third World Day for grandparents and the elderly. The Church observes this day each year on the fourth Sunday in July, close to the Feast of Jesus' Grandparents, St. Joachim and Anne. The calendar also features his upcoming apostolic journeys to Portugal in early August and to Mongolia, August 31st to September 4th. Wednesday, July 5th, in view of the Jubilee of 2025, Pope Francis has decided to create a working group at the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints to draw up a catalog of all Christians, not only Catholics, who have shed their blood to confess Christ in the last quarter of a century. In the letter released July 5th, Francis announced the establishment of what he called the Commission for the New Martyrs, Witnesses of the Faith. Again, this is in the Dicastery for the Causes of Saints. The working group's objective will be to draw up a catalog of all Christians who have shed their blood to confess Christ and bear witness to the gospel. Martyrs, wrote the Pope, have accompanied the life of the Church in every age, and flourish as ripe and excellent fruits of the vineyard of the Lord, even today. Martyrs are more numerous in our times than in the first centuries. They are bishops, priests, consecrated men and women, lay people and families, who in the different parts of the world, with the gifts of their lives, have offered the supreme proof of charity. In fact, St. John Paul II had already stated in his letter, Terzio Millennio Adveniente, that everything must be done to ensure that the legacy of the unknown soldiers of God's great cause is not lost. On May seventh, 2000, during the great jubilee, These very martyrs were remembered during an ecumenical celebration at the Colosseum, together with the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, representatives of churches and ecclesial communities from all over the world. This is what the Holy Father has repeatedly called ecumenism of blood. Also Wednesday. Although it did not first appear in the Daily Press Office Bulletin, a video was posted on Vatican News Wednesday night showing that Pope Francis had received former U.S. President Bill Clinton at the Casa Santa Marta. The Pontiff's meeting with the American politician was held in private, and the topic discussed was peace. At the end of the meeting... Pope Francis looked out briefly to greet the security guards and other friends accompanying the former president on his trip to Rome and Europe, where he had meanwhile been taken on a tour of some of the Vatican sites. The Pope presented Clinton with a statue of a woman holding a dove. The Pope said it represents a work for peace. Among those accompanying Clinton was Alex Soros of the Open Society Foundations, founded by his father, George Soros. Thursday, July 6th, the Vatican released the logo and program of Pope Francis' apostolic trip to Mongolia, August 31st to September 4th. Friday, July 7th, a press conference at the Vatican by Synod officials announced the list of participants in the October Synod, with a total of about 400 slated to attend, including scores of men and women religious and men and women laity appointed by the Pope. More to come on that news. Well, those are the news highlights of the week, but now stay here for a Q&A, and then my conversation with Father Mark Lewis, Rector of Rome's Jesuit-run Gregorian University. Welcome to this week's Q&A. It's an important question. What is magisterium in the Catholic Church? A word that often appears when describing the teaching of the Catholic Church is magisterium. It is a word with profound meaning for all Catholics. It's also a word that can sometimes be bandied about in news stories to the point that its original meaning becomes, as the saying goes, lost in translation. So what does magisterium mean? Well, based on the Latin word for teacher, magister, in simple terms, magisterium, often written with a capital M, by the way, refers to the teaching authority of the Church formed of the bishops in union with the Pope. It is one of the three sources of authority alongside Scripture and tradition. The Church exercises its magisterium when it authoritatively proclaims Christ's teaching. Officially now, number 85 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, "...the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God, whether in its written form or in the form of tradition, has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the Church alone. Its authority in this matter is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ." This means that the task of interpretation has been entrusted to the bishops in communion with the successor of Peter, the bishop of Rome. Number 86 in the Catechism adds, Yet this magisterium is not superior to the word of God, but is its servant. It teaches only what has been handed on to it. At the divine command, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it listens to this devotively guards it with dedication, and expounds it faithfully. All that it proposes for belief, as being divinely revealed, is drawn from this single deposit of faith. End quote for number 86 of the Catechism. So magisterium is the body of teaching, and it also refers to those who exercise this teaching authority. In other words, to the Pope and to the bishops, teaching in union with him magisterium can refer to a particular body of teachings that have been authoritatively proclaimed. You probably might have read something like, the 1968 encyclical Humanae Vitae belongs to the magisterium of St. Paul VI. There is an ordinary magisterium, the ordinary teaching of the popes and bishops, as they conduct their ministry. When they teach in an especially solemn way, that is referred to as an act of the extraordinary magisterium. In the case of popes, this term is reserved only for instances when a pope infallibly defines a truth. All other instances of papal teaching are termed ordinary. The term extraordinary magisterium is also used for ecumenical councils. Individual bishops are not capable of exercising the church's extraordinary magisterium. All of their teachings, by necessity, belong to the ordinary magisterium.
2: This is Father Jeffrey Kirby. St. Paul tells us that one receives faith through hearing, and it is by having Catholic Radio that we can hear the gospel and the good news proclaimed to us and understand every day the abundant life offered to us in Jesus Christ. Catholic Radio is essential in order to help us to grow in our discipleship. The world needs EWTN Catholic Radio, now more than ever.
0: Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. When the apostles saw Jesus walking on water they were terrified. They thought it was a ghost. Peter blurted out, If it's you, tell me to come to you. On one hand he was looking for a miracle, but I think Peter also was looking for something else to prove that it was the Lord. There was something about Jesus' words that may have been unlike any other voice in Peter's life. You see, Peter didn't just believe in Jesus, Jesus believed in him. At his first encounter with Jesus, Peter said, "'Depart from me, I'm a sinful man.' And he heard the unthinkable, "'Come, follow me, you'll be a fisher of men.'" In other words, I see more in you than you see in yourself, Peter. So when he heard, "'Come, walk on the water,' Peter knew who it was." Jesus is the voice that wants to empower you and build you up. Do yourself a favor and stop listening to that critical voice in your head that keeps ripping you down. It's not God. This is Chris Stefanik from reallifecatholic.com on EWTN Radio. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis.
1: Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Jesuit Father Mark Lewis, Rector of Rome's Pontifical Gregorian University. We look at how the Greg, preparing for the 2025 Holy Year, will offer a new diploma in the Art and History of Jubilees a one-year course starting from the academic year 2023-24 at the Faculty of History and Cultural Heritage of the Church. We also talk about the university's decision to strengthen the formation of its students on the themes of safeguarding and care for human dignity through the establishment of a course whose attendance will be obligatory for the completion of the baccalaureate, licentiate, and doctorate academic degrees. Now, tell me, tell my listeners, the importance of being a pontifical university.
2: Well, the, the main <coughs> thing that means is that it's, it's either founded or requested patronage of the, of the Holy Father. So, in all of the cases where it's a pontifical institution, the Holy Father confirms the choice of rector. Um, the Dicastery for Culture and Education has a clear interest in those, all of the pontifical institutions to maintain quality, um, to follow basically the guidelines set out in Veritatis Gaudium, the, the papal document that governs oh, pontifical sure. institutes universities. There are pontifical universities in Around other countries, the world,
1: too, yes. that, that title um, is assigned. Now, um, in studying your site, I realized that we're 18 months away from the 2025, the start of the 2025 jubilee, um, jubilee holy year, an ordinary holy year. I read on your site that starting in the 2023-24 academic year, the Gregorian will be offering a new diploma in the History and Art of Jubilees, a one-year course that will start, as I said, in that academic year at the Faculty of History and Cultural Heritage. Now, that sounds fascinating. Uh, how it did is. one come up with that idea?
2: So it, it, there are two two basic things that, that led us to this. The first is that we already have the, the Department of Cultural Heritage of the Church that that really focuses on, especially on the patrimony here in Rome, but on, on church art, architecture, archives, libraries in general. So we have the faculty, we have the, the, the sort of disposition to do a course like this. And then the second thing is the upcoming Jubilee, And what the department really developed, I think, was a a very good practical diploma for people who will be guides. So it's primarily aimed at people who are already guides in Rome, but to give them a more ecclesiastical focus. Um, Somebody who shows people around the city of Rome has to know a lot of history, a lot of difference. This would be focusing on on the church and also the role of the papacy in the jubilees. So to understand a little bit why a jubilee year is called. And then um, the other thing to really make note of here is that it's it's also with the patronage of the Fabrica San Pietro, oh, the, the, the people who sort of maintain and care for the St. Peter's Basilica, and also um, the Vatican dicastery for evangelization of peoples, because sure. the jubilee is also a part, is a great opportunity to evangelize people who would be and they're
1: for the, the organizers, basically, for, the, for the Vatican.
2: So in both cases, they, they were very interested in the program that we put together. So they they, oh, they are um, their seals are on our diplomas, so that's oh, very important.
0: Oh,
1: wonderful. Well, I wrote a book for the um, Jubilee year 2000, then the Mercy year 2015-2016. Mm-hmm. And the chapter that most interested me in researching was the chapter I did on the history of Jubilees. Part of the interesting thing is like finding out what buildings were built, or churches, or bridges. Or bridges. Yes, fascinating history. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be teaching that? Where? So it's
2: under the, the, the guidance of our the director of our department, Ottavio Bucarelli, who is the director of the Department of the Cultural Heritage of the Church, and then the rest will be staff from our department. It will be pretty much exclusively in that, that department. So a
1: year-long course is like a several hours a week uh, it's going to
2: be it's going to be aimed to be a little bit outside of the usual school hours to allow people who are working as guides to attend oh sure um, so there will be there will be things made the the to my mind the more important thing is actually going on site and seeing places and talking about specific locations
1: in Rome because so it be is a church event so you have to uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, it's just you have to have the ecclesiastical side of it for sure. And spiritual, et cetera. so um, well, that's fascinating. I'm going to look forward to being one of the groups guided by yes. the students. so Now, I also know the website said that the university has decided to quote, strengthen the formation of its students on the themes of safeguarding and care for human dignity through the establishment of a course whose attendance will be considered a necessary requirement for the completion of the baccalaureate, licentiate, and doctorate degrees. And this is offered by the Institute of Anthropology. And I have interviewed in his office um, Father Zonis. So tell us about that.
2: So for the last two years, we've been having that program offered on on a voluntary basis to to our new students, primarily. and quite frankly, the idea came in part from the Angelicum that started in the year before us, um, because they saw, despite the fact that many of the, the residential colleges have a program like this for their students, that there are a lot of people who are either out of uh, out of the college system, or in colleges that don't have either enough students to do it or or haven't started it. So. With the Angelicum, we decided two years ago to provide and recognize each other's programs, both sort good. of initiated by and, and organized <clears throat> by the Institute for Anthropology, in such a way that, that a good number of students would be, um, have a chance to do this. This coming year will be the first year that it's obligatory, but again, if, if they've done the program in their college, many of which are done also by the Institute of Anthropology, or in their diocese or in their religious community, then they don't have to repeat it. But it's basically a seminar that would allow give them the basics of of recognizing, preventing, reporting. Sure. So things that in the United States we've done for many years now, but we're we're starting to get to here. I think it will continue to grow across the pontifical institutions here in Rome. Uh, Santa Croce also has a program now similar to this I think uh, we also have have done this program for our faculty and for our staff or administrative staff
1: no that's an important a wise decision and I think you know making it mandatory for those who do not had not previously followed a, a, a similar course you know now I've been fascinated over the years that I've lived in Rome by meeting ambassadors other officials that uh, the Food and Agricultural Organization, etc. And one thing they have always say, all of them have always said, when when I would ask them about being newcomers in Rome or something, um, of course you get to know the city and the language, but all of them said to a person that they were told that one of the places, they have to get to know universities in Rome. Usually the Greg came out at the, at the top of, of that list, but they said, a pontifical university is absolutely the place where uh, we have to research and get to know the people. Why do you think that would be? Why? Well,
2: it's a good, that's a good question because it, it was one of the things that, that struck me when I became rector was the number of, people, number of ambassadors, even at the, the first event, the inauguration of the year, there was a lineup of, of ambassadors who wanted to, to greet me and, and begin to make appointments and so forth. And in the U.S. system, maybe the G- Georgetown University president might have this in, being in Washington, D.C., but it's not something that's common to university presidents or rectors to have that kind of, of diplomatic relations. <laughs> and initially, I wasn't sure exactly what, what the goal was of it. But then, increasingly, almost from the beginning, um, there are cultural exhibits on tour that, that need space, and we can provide space here for that. A lot of, of them are very interested in dialogue with other religions, so our Center for Interreligious Studies, our BAYA Center for Judaic Studies, all provide a place for, um, for their universities and their people who are interested to find a place to do that. So there are some really important academic things that we do that are useful to um, some of the countries that have representatives here in, in Rome.
1: Well, I think that's the thing we mentioned right at the outset, how international this is. Correct. There probably is not an ambassador in Rome that couldn't have some interest in um, a guest, an exhibit or a guest speaker. And Correct. Um, they've got to you know, increase their world knowledge too.
2: And a lot of times, depending on the size of the, the embassy or, or their desire to have a larger crowd, will also be the venue for some of their speakers that they invite in. So we had uh, the Australian ambassador of the Holy See brought speakers in for their Mabo Day uh, earlier this month. Um, we've had we've had uh, diplomats who've actually done degree work while they're here as well, especially in the interreligious oh. area. So, so I think it's really important that that we have that relationship. It's it's always going to be a little bit ad hoc. It depends on what what the country is what. What's going on, and and the interest of the ambassador, but it's a sort of sort of fascinating little piece that that I I didn't know, didn't really understand at the beginning, and I'm still learning. But it's it's a very interesting piece.
1: Absolutely, well I remember, and I'm pretty sure it was here at the Greg. Margaret Milady, the wife of, of Ambassador Tom Milady to the Vatican in '91, uh, I think to '95. Um, she studied communications and um, got a a degree and wrote her paper and had that published and everything else. So I do know there's a lot of studies. But, well, you know, I want to thank you for being generous with your time because I can't even imagine the the workload, the requests made on you by the department heads, by the deans, by visitors such as Joan, et cetera, and by ambassadors. So um, Father Mark Lewis, thank you so much for your time and, and the best of luck on all of your... Priorities and new programs, and uh, what time of the day is pro- late afternoon? The one for guides, the one for the jubilee. Uh,
2: I can give you a, uh, our little pamphlet on that, which will give you more information. But it's it's going to be yeah more in the afternoon, I
1: believe. Oh, wonderful! So maybe I could enroll. There you so go. Anyway. There you go. Well, listen. God bless you, and Thank have you. a Wonderful. Uh, we're approaching summer, of course. Well, you don't close in the summer. You still have. We close August. in August. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Typical.
2: Nobody in, in Rome is here in August, pretty much. Nobody in their We right don't have air conditioning, yeah. so it's not not a good place to be in the summer. It's the Italian we thing. We don't have a summer school. You know. Oh,
1: good. Okay. No.
2: So we finish when we finish exams. This month will be done until September, October. Oh,
1: wonderful. Well on that basis uh, you're probably going to be packing your bags soon or or whatever good luck to you and your staff and the students thank and you God thank bless
2: you. you good thank you for coming
0: more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.